Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things. All while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Hola, hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. We have a another author, but you know what? We can't have too many authors, I think, because especially when it comes to people representing from communities of color, but we're Latinas, so we have some Latina authors talking about their experiences. So let's do this, all right? Uh, I have Yasmin Ramirez with me. Hola, Yasmin, how are you? Hola, hi. Nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you. You are the author of Andale Prieta. Prieta. I can't even see. I'm so tired that I can't even talk today. It's been a long day like we were talking about. <laughs> Ooh, Andale Prieta. And I was reading kind of about the book and everything. And I thought that was super cool. But before, let me read your bio. Okay. And then we'll go into our wine. And then we will go into the chisme. Awesome. Uh, Yasmin Ramirez is a 2021 Martha's Institute of Creative Writing Author Fellow, as well as a 2020 recipient of the Woody and Gail Hunt Aspen Institute Fellowship Award. Her fiction, CNF Works. What does CNF stand for? Creative Nonfiction. There you go. Have appeared in Cream City Review. And I'm going to... We thought you. Okay, I, that's what I thought, but I sometimes will mess up. So Usache, among others. She's an assistant director of English, creative writing, and Chicanx literature at El Paso Community College. She stays active in the Borderplex Arts community and serves on the advisory board of Border Senses, a literary nonprofit. Her memoir, Andale Prieta, by Lee and Low Books, is now available. And we will mention that Lee and Low Books is a Latine-owned publishing company, correct? I don't think so. I think it's um, it's Asian-owned, actually. Oh, it's but a minority-owned A minority. Publisher. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was something, like, different. Yes, so. yeah, but they focus on, on publishing Latinx authors. I mean, just all sort of marginalized groups of people they focus on on giving everyone a voice in kids lit and I'm actually one of their first adult books oh that's awesome well congratulations we will talk about all of those things but before we get into the cheese man when I say cheese man I mean people get to to share the cheese man on themselves right we're kind of right. twisting it around we're not we're not here trying to be all chismosa about like the neighbors down the street <laughs> or about our fat. Well, kind of, you're kind of with your family. I am a little bit, yeah, I'm being a little chismosa. <laughs> but it's our own stories that we get to share. So before we get into that chisme, we always start with the wine. So you are our guest and I will allow you to share what you are drinking today. Thank you. Um, so I have this very pretty stemless glass. I'm drinking a Rioja. I had it a few years ago. I had the pleasure of visiting Spain and I got addicted to that type of wine because it's lighter than like a Chardonnay, but it's not sweet. Mm -hmm. And so I really love it. I love Riojas. Actually, one of my friends, I haven't yet been to Spain. I'm hoping to go very, very soon. But my one of my really good friends had brought me back a bottle from Spain and I cannot remember the name. And I took a picture, but this was like several phone iterations ago. So I've lost the photo since. But I do remember it was, I believe it was a bullfighter. I don't know if there was a bull in the photo or not, or if it was just horns. And that was 
To this day, that was one of the best Riojas I'd ever tasted. And I can't remember the damn name. I'm going to be on a search for it now. I'm going to be looking for, for uh, wine with bull, bull, bulls or bull fighters or something on it. Yeah. Sounds, to say it's like the best one. I'm like, Ooh, I'm intrigued. It was so good. I mean, you know, this, again, this was several years ago, but I still remember it. I remember that of it. So who knows? Like, whatever. I don't, who knows what I would think of it now, right? I might still <laughs> think the same of it. I might not think the same. I no sé, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> You'll taste it and then be like, it doesn't taste as good as my memory. Yeah. I was like, oh, I was just kidding. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> going to tell, send me a bottle and I'm going to be like, oh, I thought this was good. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I have stuff like that too. So I, I can only imagine like once you find it, I hope though it works out that it tastes as good as you remember. Me too. I am actually drinking a 2021 Beaujolais Nouveau by, the Fr- so Beaujolais means that's the part of France that it was actually, it's like a Gamay uh, wine. So it's a red wine and it's, I'm not going to be able to say this in the French accent. It's Georges, Georges Dubouf. I don't know if that's correct or not, but I did get this bottle from Trader Joe's, which is like, I actually, if I'm not drinking a Latine own wine, wine, I do like to go to Trader Joe's for wines because they really have a pretty good variety from different countries. So if you're looking for a French wine or you're looking for an Italian wine or a Spanish wine, um, they actually have a pretty good variety of different wines. So. And they're not really expensive. So I'm I'm guessing it's been a while since I got this. I'm guessing this was definitely under $15 though. Oh, oh I wish we don't have Trader Joe's here. I wish we did, but we don't. So you're in El Paso, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I was living in Dallas, that they started opening Trader Joe's. So there are Trader. And so I was like, that's it. I'm here. Like it's home, you know? <laughs> yes. So yes, I was yes. at Trader Joe's all the freaking time, which I am here too, but. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, I was in Tucson a few weeks ago and I went, right. Cause Trader Joe's, you always see stuff about Trader Joe's and I had so much fun. Like I bought, I grocery shopped there with stuff that was like non-perishable. Like I got spices, I got these scones. I didn't buy wine just because I I was just like trying to get stuff that I couldn't get. And I was like, I can get wine at home. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're driving back. I didn't want them yeah. just rolling around or something. But it was it was nice to be in a Trader Joe's, like all the hype. Because I'd never like... I was going really to say, what did you one. think of it? It reminded me a little bit of like a... So we have like sprouts here. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have sprouts so here too. Yeah. So it's, it's sprouts E, like sprouts adjacent. Yeah. Um, but it was it was cool being in there and seeing how they... Like it's a lot of their own products and they have their own wine. And yeah, I don't know. You always see all this stuff about Trader Joe's. Cause I, so I had fun. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I went to Tucson and I went to Trader Joe's. <laughs> there you go. There are definitely some things that I'm all about with Trader Joe's. Like they have, and I haven't seen it come out yet. Cause it usually comes out during the summer. It's this, it's called popcorn in a pickle. And it's like, it's popcorn that tastes like a dill pickle. It is so good. It sounds really like, it sounds weird. It doesn't sound weird. It sounds like it would be salty, vinegary, crunchy all at once. Yes, it is amazing. I get obsessed with it during the summertime because they usually only have it during the summertime. And I just went a few days ago. It wasn't there. So, and I was really sad because I was like, wait, I'm waiting for this to come out. (laughs) Um, They have a pimento cheese dip. That's really good. And at first I was like, would not tell my boyfriend when I got it. But then he told me one day he ate so much pimento cheese that he can't have any anymore. So I was like, <laughs> yes, it's all for me. <laughs> he got sick on it. <laughs> that's hilarious. Isn't that terrible? I mean, like, that, that's how I much mean, he ate. That is how yeah. much you freaking ate. I mean, pobrecito, but yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of some other, like the frozen, a lot of frozen foods, especially like I, when I don't have time to really cook, there's a lot of really great things that you can just kind of pop in. And so, yeah. And I don't do all of my grocery shopping there. I probably do about 70% of my grocery shopping there. And it's right next to a Ralph's or Kroger's Mm -hmm. over there. Yeah. And then I do the rest there for things that I like that I know Trader Joe's doesn't have, but they're like right next to each other. So it's not. Oh, that's so nice. That's nice. 
Yeah. I do, I do grocery shopping in different places too, but they're not close to each other. So sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, like I'm like, oh, I have to go here for this and then here for this. And it's not close at all, but yeah, that must be nice. I miss Kroger. We don't have Kroger here. Actually, we have Albertson, but I miss Kroger. Cause when I lived in Dallas, I used to get food from their deli all the time. Oh, they do have a really good deli. Mm-hmm. No, who had, do they have Tom Thumb in El Paso? No. Oh my gosh. The, okay. The fried chicken from Tom Thumb was always super good too. <laughs> I don't know if I had it. I mean, we had, I, I obviously I went to a Tom Thumb, but I don't remember. I just remember Kroger was my jam, like their mac and cheese and their rotisserie chicken. Rotisserie <laughs> chicken is always good. Yeah. Always good. So I would get, we're like, like what mac- are you guys talking about? You're talking about <laughs> wine and then you're talking about grocery shopping. <laughs> Uh, okay. Look, well, it's no, no. Like this is real life, right? That's what happens. You get people together and you think you're going to talk about one thing. You start talking about something, go on a tangent. And then you're like, Oh wait, what were we planning on talking about again? Especially get some Latinas together. That's always going to happen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then you start comparing and then it builds and you're like, Oh, do you remember this? It becomes a, uh, like the, and then like, this and it's yes dominoes kind of well we haven't even we haven't even cheers so salud salud oh that's nice yeah thank you let's see this is the first time i'm trying this one i can't drink red i always drink white i'm smelling real quick so why why is that why do you not drink red and i'll and i'll share something with you after that it um it gives me almost like an instant headache really yeah and i'll get kind of flushed Red wine does not like me very much at all. This is so white has always been like my thing, like dry whites. So this is between a, this is a semi-dry between a semi-dry and a dry red. And when it comes to Beaujolais, Beaujolais is probably one of the lighter reds. It's even light, usually lighter than a Pinot Noir because Pinot Noir, people always say, oh, it's a really light one. And always, so I, I tell people if they, if they don't try reds or they're not sure about reds, to always start with, you know, try a Beaujolais. But first of all, people never usually hear about Beaujolais. They're like, what the hell is that? And again, Beaujolais would be the area, right? But reds that come from that area are usually really, really light on the lighter side. So I always tell people, cut, start with the Beaujolais. Look, you can get one at Trader Joe's and try it out and let it, you know, go ahead and let it breathe, you know, for a good, maybe... 20, 30 minutes, take a drink, try it out. Like again, people, you don't know what you like until you taste it. Right. I always tell people, and then people get embarrassed all the time about, Oh, I I like barefoot. And I'm like, what? Okay. What am I going to tell you? We all have different (laughs) tastes. We all have different palates. It's okay. Like I'm not somebody who really likes chocolate. Me too. I'm the same way. I don't yeah. like chocolate. People always think you're weird, right? They're like, oh always. my gosh, you're weird. How come? And I'm just yeah. like, oh, it's just not my jam. Yeah, exactly. So I know how that feels. So I'm not going to like be like, oh, what do you mean? You don't like white? You don't are, oh, you don't like red? I didn't think I like whites until I found the right ones. Yeah. And then I realized, okay, these are the types of whites that I like. And these are the types of whites that I'm not really fond of and that I will probably stay away from. So it's all just dependent on, on all of those things. So we will definitely be needing this today. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we will. (laughs) Speaking of needing, needing relief, you're a border kid, but you grew up in El Paso and you're in El Paso. You're in Texas. (laughs) I am in Texas. Yes. Right in the corner. (laughs) But tell me about, because how is how was growing up in El Paso then versus being in El Paso now? How was it growing up there? So growing up, I don't want to say it's the same. It's not. It's similar. It is similar to, to now. But I, I always say that El Paso is kind of like it's a city that thinks it's a town. Because people will even say stuff like, oh, this town. And I'm like, it, it's a city, guys. Like, <laughs> it's it's pretty, it's, it's a pretty large city. But there was, um, I don't know, there was a, a sense of like carefreeness growing up here. Something simple and nice that I missed a lot when I, when I, when I didn't, I wasn't aware of. And then I missed it when I moved to Dallas. Simple things like you'll still see kids playing here, like slightly older kids. 
um, <laughs> right. That you won't, you won't sometimes see in other places. Um, and so it was interesting here. I grew up in sort of central El Paso and, you know, we'd go downtown and we could walk downtown and see the bridges. I go to Juarez. I would go to Juarez quite often as a kid to, we would go to Mercado and, and shop and we would eat and then bring back like fresh made tortillas. Um, and it was nice then you could just walk across the bridge and say American. And then you would just go through. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. You're, now you have to like show a passport. And U.S., U.S., they point U.S., 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 U.S. Yep, yep, exactly. Because <laughs> I grew um, up in San Diego. So we would go to Tijuana. We would go to TJ or oh, yeah. anywhere down into Baja all the time. Actually, I'm I'm heading out tomorrow um, to do that. But yeah, we would do that all the time. And then when you come back, you wouldn't have to show anything. They look and everybody's like, U.S., U.S., U.S. (laughs) Yep, yeah. And then, well, since, yeah. Okay, since you'll know this then. And so in like high school, I would go to Juarez to to party. That was the thing, right? Um, And so you would just go because the drinking age was was lower. And then sometimes you had a fake that they accepted. Uh, Yeah, they never like were harsh. No, not at all. Yeah, I started going to TJ when I was, if you're from here, most of the time you call Tijuana TJ. Mm-hmm. So we started going to TJ like when I, I, was, I was like 17 because I had moved. And as soon as I moved back, my friends were like, let's go dancing. Let's go out. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was like the best sort of like nightclub experience. I think I remember going to my first nightclub in Juarez, like an actual nightclub. And I was in awe of, of what I was seeing. Like there was a guy dressed as a mask dancing up high, like, like near the rafters. Cause it was like a two level I don't know. It was the most intense nightclub, like the way you'd see something in a movie. And there I was like 16 years old. Like, what? <laughs> I can barely walk well in my heels, but I was there happy and like trying to dance. And those and streets was... are not like those sidewalks. They're not like newly paved. Mm-hmm. Like they got a crack. They got a crack that, you know. Yep. I get I totally get that. <laughs> but simultaneously, it was one of the best like that's one of the best memories I think of I have of going to Juarez when I was older going to Mercado like I said with my grandma was one that I like cherished so much like this sort of like day of shopping in Juarez and then coming back at the end of the day and so yeah there was just a lot of like crossing and every sense of the word of like crossing actual physical borders crossing of languages crossing of cultures because I mean it's hard I mean, we're literally right here. <laughs> There's no way that that's not going to bleed into each other. So how old were you when you moved to Dallas? I was like a week after 20. You're like, let me, because I actually have a lot of friends who are from El Paso that really? live in Dallas. Oh yeah. And I only know. Where two. were they? Because when I was there, I knew no one. I, oh my like, gosh, I, girl. I like, I, I don't know what, I became an El Paso magnet. I knew all of the El Paso people and they all knew each other. And then they're like, how do you know them? And I'm like, oh, from the, like, I ended up being like the Californian that knew all of the El Paso people. <laughs> oh, I'm so jelly. When I lived there, I, I struggled a lot initially because I went to uh, North Texas. So I actually lived like North Dallas, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Denton. You went to UNT? I went to UNT. I went to UNT. <laughs> This is amazing. I graduated. We have to do that. We have to do the cloth thing, right? Yes. Being green. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, just when I moved there, it was it was a weird time for me because I I failed out of UTEP here. So I was like, oh no, I'm I'm doing something wrong. I need to get out of El Paso. I live with my sister. It was just weird because I was always I was always like the only brown person, like wherever I went. Um, and then it took me a long time to actually meet like other Latinos. And when I say this, it was like, I had one Peruvian friend and that was it. When did, wait, what years did you live in Dallas? I lived there from like 2000. That's when I I moved there in 2000. Really? I don't know that. I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know what, what bubbles I went into. I moved there in 2000 and I knew one person. And I stayed with him and he, we actually met in a club in, T, in TJ and he was from Dallas. So when I was moving there, I like slept in his, on a bed in like the dining room. 
And then my, I convinced my best friend to move there. And I think when I started working, I was working at at and at the time and there were other Latinos. And then we were going to like the Latino clubs. So we were going to like, well, DMX was a mix of everybody. So we'd go to like DMX and then we would go to what are the ones that all have the numbers on them? All of a sudden I forget. Like we would go to all the Spanish rock clubs all the time. So I don't know if the, I don't know anything about this because I didn't have any friends who spoke Spanish. I think I went to, I went to a salsa place once mm-hmm. and I was there with Glorious? my friends. No, no, no. I used to go to Glorious to eat and then have their margaritas, of course, because they're, they're they turned tasty. into a club after in on Fridays and Saturdays. Well, I did a lot of happy hours there and some laters there, but I just remember I went to one salsa club. I don't even remember where it was. And I was there with my friend, Heather. And I was like, so excited. I dragged her there because I was like, (laughs) I'm hearing Spanish music. But then I was too chicken boya to dance because they were all dancing like amazing. And I'm like, I can't do my quinceanera cumbia here. Like it's going to be so embarrassing. (laughs) And yeah, I don't know. But I didn't, I really struggled in finding like other other Latinos. And I worked, I worked retail. I worked at Victoria's Secret, but I, they were all either white or black. And I didn't, I, there was one lady I worked with. She was from, she was actually from Mexico and she was, she was like a mom, you know, like she's like 20 years older than me. So it wasn't, but yeah, I really struggled for a while to find my gente. And that was, that was weird. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more. Hey, mi gente. Gold Peak Real Brew Tea is here to unleash your sense of try. All right. Can I be honest here? I'm not one who really drinks sodas. So if I'm not drinking water or wine, then you can usually find an iced tea in my hand. And since we're talking about unleashing my thirst to try something new, the next thing on my list is to go on a hot air balloon. The romance of seeing the world from that perspective makes my heart go pitter-patter. And since my other half is afraid of heights, it's something that I will probably have to try by myself or with a group of friends. So mi gente, tell me, what is on your try list? To learn a new language? To travel someplace you've seen in a magazine, your favorite show? Maybe it's just trying to make some time to pamper yourself. Ignite new passions and rekindle new ones. So try Gold Peak then. Try something else because this taste is worth the try. Try Gold Peak. It's so crazy when, you know, we get there the same year. We go to the skate, we end up going to the same school, right? And we have two completely different experiences because I came from California and you come, you've just came from El Paso. You're still a Texan and everything. And I always find it really interesting, like how you know, sometimes just meeting one person can change the whole trajectory of your life, whether it's professionally, whether it's personally, whether it's just finding your people, because, so I would imagine, because I think for me, you know, Spanish is not my first language, but that, but mi gente has always been like, I've always been very connected to my Latinidad. And so I felt lonely, but in the way of, I missed home, like I was more homesick than anything. And I moved away and then I moved back. Were you feeling those things of homesick because you, but I was fine, but I had people that made it easier for me, right? That I could go out with, that I could do things with. So what was that time like when you're like struggling to find your people, right? The people that you can connect with and you're just not finding it. I mean, it's weird. It's, It's weird in that I went from a place like El Paso where... There's like varying shades and very varying generations and various like levels of English and Spanish, right? But it's all very fluid. And then I got there and I was like, oh my God, this is weird. And then half the time I, I'm from Texas, but most of the time people would say, where is El Paso? And then they would say, is El Paso in Mexico? You're um, lying. I'm not kidding. I even learned how to do like a map. I would be like, El Paso's right here. This is Dallas. This is El Paso. So I got a lot of like passive aggressive microaggressions from um, who? From white people, obviously. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> white people, lots of white people. Um, but that's still my, like 
Come it was, on. It was just You don't know El Paso's me. in Texas. Exactly. Or they would think I was Indian. They would tell me like, oh, I thought you're Indian because your name is Yasmin. And I'm like, and my last name is Ramitas. And so they associated like good speaking skills with Indian people and not someone like me. I struggled for sure. I was glad I had my sister, uh, but we're, we're like, I lived with her and her husband. They were super supportive. And the other thing though, is I didn't, so I messed up college here and I went there to do better. And mm-hmm. so kind of like, I was like, okay, if friends happen organically, cool. If they don't like I'm here, cause I need to get my shit together. So I made friends with like the people I worked with. I didn't, I didn't really like go to UNT and look for like any groups or any, I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, I need to do better. I just failed at a UTEP. <laughs> I cannot do it again. And so it was definitely lonely. It was humbling. It was weird. Uh, and I fluctuated with being comfortable in my skin for a long time for like various reasons. And so, I mean, obviously I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't ever say I'm white because I'm not, and I don't look it. But according to TikTok these days, you would probably, they'd probably say you're white passing. <laughs> oh my God. Cause they can't see, I have a light shining on me. <laughs> no, but you're totally like, that's the thing. Like growing up, I mean, I am a light skinned Latina, but nobody ever was like, oh, you're white. You're white. Everybody be like, they weren't sure. Are you Puerto Rican? I'd always get that first. Are you from, are you from Puerto Rico? Are you from here? But nobody would ever like I never got called white growing up, you know, or even as an adult, but now it would be like, Oh, you look like you're white. No, it's because white people try to look like every other shade in the color, but their own. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I used and to there, laugh. That just moves the needle of what can, you know what I mean? Like white people consider other, you can't, I'm sorry. If you're white, you cannot tell other people that they're white passing. I agree with that one. I mean, you were there. We were there at the same time during the whole. Remember, everyone used to go to the tanning bed. Yes, I did too. I was so I, that. I well, I mean, I went a couple times, and then I was like, "Why am I doing this? I'm already like morenita. What am I? What am I doing?" And then I would laugh because I was with these girls that would look like lobsters, and I'm like, "Y'all are like going to tanning beds to look like me. Like, what are you doing?" And like, then what? they wouldn't even look it right. They would look. See, I, I don't do that anymore because I'm, I'm slather on the sunscreen because even with sunscreen, I tan. And Same. so I'm like, I don't need to do that. But yeah, I was, but in Texas, because you would always sometimes like you get times where there's no sun and I'm like, damn, this is the most pale I've ever been in my life. <laughs> like, my that, you know what? that happens to my legs. <laughs> like my legs get really, really pale. But like my arms are always like morenita, like my face. I don't know what my legs are like, oh no. Like right now I have good sun because it's like summer. But like in the winter, I'm like, ooh, whose legs are these? How did they get so blanquitos? <laughs> I think a lot of people are like that. We're like, what happened? Uh-oh. I want to kind of go back really quick and we'll we'll come back to that. But growing up in El Paso were because obviously you're an author you write, you, this is your, your, your thing. Were you somebody who liked to read growing up? Was this something that your, your family encouraged? Was it something that they didn't pay attention to? Were you considered the nerd? Like, how was that your, what was your relationship with reading and writing growing up? Uh, My relationship was really positive. Um, my mom used to buy me books all the time. There was a little, um, bookstore that we used to go to called Copperfield. And she used to buy me books. And then when my book budget had been expended, my sister would take me to the library and I would check out like the max amount of books, especially in the summer. And I would just like read and read and read. I grew up a little bit weird in that I was like the youngest in my family. So my, my sister 10 years older than me. So when I'm like 10, she's 20. She doesn't want anything to do with me. You know, <laughs> she's like, yeah, I'll take you to the library. Sure, kid. So I was like the one kid in like a, my little group of adults with my mom, my sister, my grandma. So they were like, sure, read, go for it. Like, then they didn't have, I don't know if it's like, they didn't have to deal with me. They didn't want to play. I don't know. The my books grandma, for your babysitter. <laughs> pretty much. But my mom was super encouraging. Like if I wanted a book, she'd buy me a book. And I always scribbled in like a journal. I, I started making up stories. I think like by middle school, I was making up little stories. I had my best friend that we would like swap chapters. Like I would write something and then she would write something. And we were trying to see... We're writing something collectively, but also seeing like whose chapter was better. Um, (laughs) (laughs) As I say that, I realize it sounds so nerdy, but nobody knew that we did this. 
Like we just kept it on the DL with us. And then we were just like normal kids. We just went along our way, but never talked about reading very much. I didn't talk about writing with any other one. Cause I kind of knew like intuitively, like, yeah, this is going to be kind of nerdy. So I'm just going to keep this for myself. And my family was super, super excited about it. I think the only time that I, I got crap for it was like, if I would try to read at the table, my grandma would get upset, you know, cause then I'd have a book here and she's over there and she did not like that. So she would get upset about that. But I, my family was super supportive. I'm grateful for it because like, well, here I am now. And then two, my sister would give me books and I was reading like way above my level really early on. Like I was reading adult books by the time I was in eighth grade. So I just, I am a, like, I just ingest books. Even now I read a lot. What were the types of books that you liked to read growing up? I went through phases. Early on, I went through like Babysitter's Club. I did. I did a little bit of Babysitter's Club. Mine was more Sweet Valley Twins. I did that too. And then Sweet Valley High. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then I went into Mysteries. That's, I was like all into Mystery Nancy books. Drew. I was so into Nancy Drew. I was into Mary Higgins Clark. Oh, I didn't read that. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't a big Nancy Drew. I, I liked Mary Higgins Clark. I guess they were more like adult mystery novels. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I was like obsessed with those. Okay. Then I went to like the Goosebump books. I got into horror. So I was super into horror, L.L. Stein, R.L. Stein, like all those like sequels. I remember one like little series about the cheerleaders. They were like killing each other and then like coming back. I don't know. It was, <laughs> I, I just remember that, that title. Um, and then I started reading adult horror. And then I went through an Anne Rice phase because what person in the 90s did not... And then from there, I started just reading a bunch of stuff. Like my sister would give me like a romance novel and I'd read that. And then I just read really, really random things. And as I got older, I just kept reading. The first thing that would get my attention is like a cover. And then I'm like, oh, do I want to read this? Do I not want to read this? And then it just evolved from there that I'm still kind of doing the same thing. But now I listen to audiobooks a lot. When you were, and I will go back to the audiobooks in a minute. But I do want to ask in regards to when you did read, were those like, were you, I mean, obviously you had those inklings between you and your friends, like you and your friend in regards to writing because you were going through chapters, but the types of books you were reading, did you ever search out, were they all in English and, or did you do English and Spanish or, and the second part of that is, did it ever occur to you? Cause I don't think it ever occurred to me when I was younger to seek out books by Latino authors. Is that something that ever occurred to you when you were younger? And did you ever read those types of books? No, I wish I had, it would have been cool to see how I would have evolved a little bit differently, but no, I didn't. I always read um, books by white authors, white characters. I didn't even know there was Latinx authors. I didn't know that at all. The first book I read by a Latinx author was in college by Dagoberto Guild, and I read Gritos. And I didn't really quite, it didn't resonate with me, not because of anything. I just remember reading it and being like a little like confused. And I remember I, I liked seeing the Spanish in it, but I was like, am I supposed to connect with it because it has Spanish? Because I don't feel it. I was a little bit confused. And then I, when I got, I didn't really start reading. Latinx authors until I got to grad school. Did you ever read Dirty Girl Social Club? No. You haven't read that? No, I have to read that. Just like next on my reading list. Yes. <laughs> okay. It came out, guy, it's, I read it probably like 15 years ago. Okay. It's probably maybe 10. I don't remember when it came out. And me and my friends all read, because, and we independently, like it was maybe like, oh, have you read this book? Have you read this book? And then we all, then all of a sudden this group of like a couple people grew to like 20 of us reading this group. Maybe it wasn't 15 years ago. It was at least 10 years ago. I probably like 10 years ago. And it's about these four women who go to college or four um, Latina women who go to college and they go their separate ways. So you have somebody who's a writer and you have somebody. And one of the girls, she's like this goth chick who's into like, 
the Chicano music scene and she's here in San Diego out of Oceanside. And so my hometown is named in it. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then you have this other girl who her name was Usnaves. And the reason her name was Usnaves is because the first thing that her parents saw was a ship in the U.S. Navy. So it's like Usnave. And then um, she's like a bigger girl, but she's very fashionable and very powerful. And it's so good. And then you have, um, I think somebody who's more of like in, into her family and everything. So it is so, so good. And I think that was the first, I know I've probably in high school, I want to say we read something, but I, but I can't remember what it was, but as an adult, that was the first book that I remember that I could identify with. I mean, I could not like I wasn't a particular character. I could grab things from each character right. and identify with. You have to read it. Read okay. it and let me know what you think. Okay. Okay. I'm excited. Yes. The Dirty Girls Social Club. Dirty Girls Social Club. Okay. Okay. Yes. I'm going to read it. And yeah, I know is... I have it. That sounds so cool though. Yes. Alisa Valdez Rodriguez is her, is the author. Okay. And it's so, so good. In fact, now I'm, I know that book is packed away somewhere. I'm going to have to get a new one just so I can read it all over again. <laughs> I love that. Okay. No, I'm very intrigued now. I don't, I don't think I've even heard of it. So I feel a lot. I'm out of the loop. I have to read it. I can't. Um, I literally cannot believe you. I totally, I was like waiting for you to say that. I would have, I totally would have figured you're like, oh yeah, I read this book. And I would have been like, ah, I read that too. Oh my God, I missed <laughs> out. I'm, I feel, yeah, I'm gypped. No, I missed out. I, I don't know how I didn't find, I also, you know, like my sister would give me books and I guess she wasn't reading any Brown authors either. Like I think about it and, and you're not obviously the first person to ask me that. And I'm always like, I feel like slightly ashamed. Like I'm like, it's not till I got to college. No, um, I mean, I think so many of us growing up were not exposed to that. We weren't, I mean, it's not like when you're going to school they're like, oh, look at this author. I think there's a lot of focus on black authors. And then we did Shakespeare, you did. And then they're doing all these other things. And there's never, like, there's obviously a focus on making sure, like, I think when in schools, at least when I grew up, schools, diversity meant white and black, right? It didn't include anywhere else between the spectrum in regards to that. It just meant, oh, let's make sure we include Black authors, which is super important, but we need voices across the board, not yeah. just white authors, not just Black authors, but we need, you know, Asian authors and um, South Asian authors and, you know, Middle Eastern authors and European, you know, and, and Latino authors. We need a collective to, because we all have different experiences and so many people write based on their experience, even if it's fiction people are still writing, they're grabbing their inspiration from somewhere and it's usually their own life. For sure. So to be able to do that. So don't feel ashamed. I didn't, I don't, I mean, like I said, maybe we didn't and I can't remember, but I know it wasn't significant because I should be able to remember that if it was a significant amount. So don't feel bad. And I want, and if you guys are listening, if you have recommendations, post them, please. Instagram me, post it when this episode drops, post it in the comments, like tell us some of your favorite black and brown authors that we need to be reading. That would be great. Yeah. What about you read um, Isabel Allende? I have not read her. I have her book, one of her books on my shelf right now. Well, hold on. What am I reading right now? Right. Oh, actually this week I started um, God is a Black Woman. I don't know if you've heard of it. No. Um, I'm just a couple chapters in with that one. I'm actually reading books that have like a music focus right now because I'm working on another manuscript and it kind of helps me to read stuff that's written focused on music. So I just finished a book called Let Me Hear a Rhyme that's based in Brooklyn in the 90s right after Biggie was shot. So wow. I really enjoyed it. It, it was a lot. If you like hip hop in the 90s, especially 90s hip hop, it, it's like oh I enjoyed gosh. it. It was really good. Okay, I'm going to say something. I'm about to say something that people might, well, the people that listen probably won't find controversial, but younger people might find controversial. Today's hip hop sucks. (laughs) It's it's rough. 
Although, half the time, you know, I don't even understand what they're saying. Like they're like, they're not lyrical. Like, I feel like there's not messaging in it. It's just like, and then you find like two words that you can understand. And then you read the lyrics and they're, you're like, this mean, this has no meaning to it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Although I am a big Kendrick Lamar fan. I was about to say, I like Kendrick Lamar. I do like Chance the Rapper. I'm trying to think of just 90s, 90s hip hop. And even in the early 2000s, that hit, they hit different. They did. Cause like one of my favorite groups, group, like Outkast. I mean, if Outkast dropped an album like today, I would be so happy. I would be so excited because the sound was just like no other, like the smoothness was beautiful. The lyricism even when they're rapping about a chicken wing, like ain't no thing but a chicken yeah. wing. And you're just like, yeah. And that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, yeah. They're talking, shake it, shake it, shake it like a Polaroid picture. Like they made it just so, I don't know. I love A Tribe Called Quest. Yeah. Like, you know, I love, I don't know. I just, like I said, it just hits differently. And now I feel like it's just, I don't know. Even the big D energy one, right. Where people are like, Oh, that's, that's sampling Mariah Carey. And I'm like, but Mariah Carey is sampling another good, come on yeah. guys, let's get with this. And, you know, and that's cool and everything. And it just, yeah, it just, it's different. Did you end up graduating from UNT? Yeah, I did. What did you graduate in? 2005. No, like what was your major? Oh, uh, psychology. <laughs> Nothing to do with it. Right Nothing now. to do <laughs> So what was your progression from after graduating? Did you have other jobs? And when did you decide like you wanted to pursue being an author in writing? Um, Yeah, I had a, you know what? I actually had a gap of like five years after I graduated because I initially, I was going to go straight to grad school for, I was going to do clinical psychology. I'd already taken the GRE. I was looking at schools. I was like, where do I want to live? I was getting nervous. Like, oh my God, I have to move again. Um, and then I was volunteering with a professor. So I was working with the graduate students already, like to get, you know, experience. And they asked me, why do you want to go to grad school? And I didn't have a good answer other than because I have to. And then they like, they psyched me out and I was all, oh my God, what happened? I don't have a good reason. So I decided to take a break. I called my mom, Toda Llorona, like, mom, I don't know. and she's like, okay, like just work then. <laughs> like no one told you you had to go to grad school. And um, so all through college, I worked retail. And then there was, I, I did not like selling retail. I didn't really love it, but I liked the visual aspect of it. Like, you know, the people who do the windows, who yeah. do all the stuff. And so I was trying to get into that. And um, I'd already moved out. I had a roommate. And she got a job at Neiman Marcus. And she's like, why don't you come work at Neiman's? And I was like, okay. So I went and I applied at Neiman's and I was trying to just get my foot in the door. Like, okay. And so I'm like, maybe I can work in shoes. Like I was tired because I'd worked in lingerie. And I was like, I'm tired of boobs. Like, <laughs> let me look at some people's feet <laughs> or something. But because I had lingerie experience, they put me in the lingerie department. And so I worked at Neiman's and then I got recruited to work at Nordstrom. And then at Nordstrom, I, I drank the Kool-Aid and I was like full, oh my God, this is the best place. I want to work here. And then my, my goal shifted. I wanted to be a buyer because I thought it was like the coolest job ever, like going to fashion week and picking out the stuff that people are going to wear next season. Um, but I burnt out um, working there because we'd work like 12 hour days often. <laughs> It was exhausting. I was kind of just like, what am I doing here? Like, this is weird. And so in that time, um, my grandmother passed away. And so I was really sad because I hadn't seen her for two years because I was working all the time. And I was just like, what am I doing here? This is so weird. This is a weird place. I'm like trying to get people to buy stuff they don't need or pay for stuff that's like double the price, right? That they can get somewhere else. And so I thought about like, what am I going to do now? I don't want to do this anymore. I realized that like, I do not want to do this. So I made a to-do list, like a a pros and cons list not to do. And I'm like, well, I can go back for psychology. I can go back to my original plan. But in the back of my head, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. And the whole, that whole entire time, I was still reading and writing. Like I still had a journal. I carried a journal with me everywhere. 
I'd be at the mall and I would be writing stories about the people sitting next to me in the food court, just doodling. And, and so on my pros and cons list, I was like, what if I write? Like, this is a thing, right? And I started researching and found a thing. People can major in it. They can go to graduate school in it. And um, so I was like, what are the pros and cons of each of these? And I had more pros in the psychology aspect because it was more secure, job security, better pay, you know, all the stuff, right? Yeah. And I'm like, but I've already done this at Nordstrom. Like I stayed at Nordstrom because I got paid very well as a manager. You know, I had prestige. I was a department manager of one of the biggest stores in Dallas. Like I worked at North Park. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I was like, it's fancy. North mall. Park is the bougie mall. Bougie, bougie. So I'm like, wait, I've already done this. I made these decisions like purely for, for like social status and money. I'm like, what if I just did something because it made me happy? And that's how I ended up moving back home. Like, I think I had just been pushing for so long in the wrong direction that when I decided, I think I want to do this. Like I found like UTEP, I hadn't missed their application date. I just renewed the lease on my town home. And then I asked them like, if I, if I did change my mind, is it okay? It was like three days later. And they're like, sure, we'll just throw it in the shredder. <laughs> and I'm like, really? <laughs> so I was shocked. Right. Cause that doesn't usually happen. Yeah. And, um, so I just decided like, I want to go home. I, I was tired of being there. I was tired of sort of like the fakeness of it all. When you're saying this, you, I'm sure you see me like keep nodding my head because I relate to so much of what you're saying. Cause I feel like as long as I was there and I loved it, like Dallas will always have a special place in my heart. I grew up in California, but I found myself and became an adult in Dallas. I still try and visit at least Every year, I haven't gone yet this year, but I try and visit every year so I could see my friends and, you know, everything. But for the longest time, like now that I'm back home in San Diego, this is where I'm originally from. I feel like for the longest time, I was a square peg trying to fit myself into a round hole. Absolutely. And like, I was just really trying to force my life to be in Dallas and I had good, I had wonderful times there and I had good times there, but always in the back of my mind, I was like, this is not where I'm supposed to be for the rest of my life. But I still tried to make it that place. And so when I made the decision to come back, to come back home, to move back home was the easiest thing. Like, I mean, it was scary being almost 40 years old and deciding I'm going to move back and make this huge change because I had been gone out of California for so long. But the things to actually get here were easy. Once I was here, it was it was not as easy, but it, I just felt like, oh my gosh, everything was falling into place, opening the door for me to move back. Is that how you felt? Absolutely, yes. So much so that I, I mean, like my sister wrote my letter of resignation for me as I drove to work because I was just like, fuck it, I'm going home. Like I was just so done, done, done that I'm like, what am I doing here? What am I actually doing here? I'm not doing anything with my life that means anything. It was just so easy to come home. I was scared, of course. It was weird. And I had to come home and like I lived with my mom for a little while. And I was like, this is weird. I haven't lived with my mother in a very long time. Shame. I came home super nice. with my parents. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. But she was super nice, super understanding. She understood like, okay, you're an adult now. But yeah, it was, I feel like when I came home, I came home to like a warm blanket that just like wrapped around me. So I know you wrote this book based on your family and I want to write, read something um, that was sent to me. So it says the memoir follows Yasmin's own journey as she finds her place as a bicultural young woman. She writes about the deep grief she experienced when her grandmother passed away. Her grandmother was her anchor who taught her true strength and how to navigate the world as a young Latina woman. She was directionless after one of the most important people in her life passed away, but was luckily able to garner the strength to go after the life she truly wanted, being a writer. And I wanted to read that because I feel like that's just a beautiful way to like introduce your book in regards to what that is. Cause I know we're joking at the beginning saying, yeah, you're being chismosa with your family. You're being like <laughs> the chismosa telling all the tea on your family. But I think so often we find ourselves in that, right? When somebody's so important to us passes and you were, were you in Dallas when your grandma passed or were you, so you were in Dallas. So you probably just felt like 
you probably felt like I did not spend enough time with her. What am I doing? Like that made you question everything even more. Like, why am I here? I could have been there. I could have spent time with her. I could have this, I could have that. Like we have all of the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're like, I'm done with this. Move back to El Paso. And you're basically having to start your life all over. At what point did you say, I want to write about my life, my family, and was how difficult was that? To make that, not only to make that decision, but to put it on paper, because we always think, right? Oh my gosh, we could be reality. Like our family's like a reality (laughs) show. Oh my gosh, I should write a book. Oh, you know, like we're always joking like that, but you did it. And I think sometimes when you do it, it exposed, like you can sometimes open old wounds. You can hurt people just, and not that you're not telling the truth, but the truth sometimes hurts. So please walk me through like how that whole thing was. I didn't start out intentionally. Like I want to write about my family. Um, after my grandma's passing, I started writing down like some of my favorite memories with her. And I had like this mishmash of like 15 pages of like snippets. It didn't really make sense to anyone but me. And so I was just trying to capture and like hang on to her in any way, shape that I could. Right. And then I didn't want to lose those memories because I felt like I'd already lost so much time. I'd wasted so much time at work when I could have been visiting her, you know, things like that. The woulda, coulda, shoulda. And so um, when I came home and I, I went to the, I got into an MFA program in creative writing. So a master's program in creative writing, um, which is pretty cool because it's bilingual. And that's like, it's the only program in the United States like that, that it's, they let that's in four or five Spanish speakers and five English speakers. It was a really beautiful experience. And then weird as hell, because I hadn't really spoken Spanish for like 10 years. So I was like, so pocha, it was horrible. So I was there, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm having to read people's stories in Spanish. And then it was like a different Spanish. Cause I had uh, like in my cohort, there was like a couple of people from Colombia from El Salvador. So the Spanish is a little bit different. So I'm there reading these stories out loud to my mom, like, so she could help me if I didn't understand something. And so that, that was hard. And, but I, I kept on trying to write stuff that I thought a writer should write, right? Like the way you think a writer should sound. And I kept just striking out all of my responses to my work were really like lukewarm and I, I was really struggling. So I, at that point I was like, holy shit, did I make the right decision <laughs> by doing this? I started having like this panic attack. And um, one of the days I just couldn't write. I just had really bad writer's block. And I turned in a section of that hodgepodge of me just trying to hang on to my Etha. And suddenly I got like these like oohs and ahs in the room. And I was like, what, what? What are you talking about? And it's a really simple scene. It's in the book. And it's just like her nightly ritual. Like I'm watching her and she's taking off her makeup. And she would, she used to have a pair of men's old underwear. And she used that to take off her makeup. <laughs> so the underwear have like eyeshadow and eyeliner, right? Like black splotches. And my my uh, my professor was like, oh my God, and this is so beautiful with the underwear. And I part of me is like, is he kidding? Like, is he being serious? Or is everyone just messing with me right now? But I think it's because for once it was me. It was actually me on the page, my voice, not anyone's I was trying to imitate, not anyone's that I was trying to, to use or sound like. And so then I was like, maybe I have something here. And then I have this beautiful idea of like, what if I just write something to honor like my Ipa, right? Especially since I felt like I'd messed up so much. Like this was my, this was my moment of redemption, Mm -hmm. essentially. So that became my thesis. Then when I graduated, I was like, no, this needs to be a book. And I kept working on it and working on it. Thankfully, my family was really nice and that they would tell me stuff. I would interview them. Like I would ask them all these questions, like trying to fill in gaps. And they were super supportive with what I was writing, even though I think sometimes my mom was like, what are you doing? How, what, like... (laughs) Wait, what is this? Why do I want to, why do I, why am I saying okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, that's how I ended up getting to the book. It wasn't like a, but I didn't start. Like, this is what I want to do. It just happens. And was it cathartic for you to get that all down? For sure. I mean, oh, it wasn't all nice, right? There's some parts in the book that I am not, like, I can't even, like, I have my book. I have my own copy, right? Where I take to events. Mm-hmm. And I have the tabs. So it's like, I can read this with no problem. And then I have, I can read this section. 
And then there's like where there's no tabs, it's because I cannot read that out loud without like crying or having a very visceral reaction to that section. And not because I still carry it with me, but it's because I'm reliving it, mm-hmm. right? I'm reliving these moments, like seeing my grandma in a funeral home. That was intense, right? Rewriting that scene was probably one of the hardest things I ever had to do because I had to like live in that moment for hours as I was trying to get it right. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, I read sections like the earlier chapters where my grandma's alive and I'm a little kid and it's beautiful because I get to be a little kid again for a little while yeah. and I get to be with her. So I am like hearing you and like reliving my grandma died when I was six and a half and my mom was pregnant with my youngest sister. So we didn't get to go to the funeral and I was really, really close with my grandma. And then when my grandpa died, I was in seventh grade. And that hit me really hard because I was super close with him. Me and my sister shared a room. We were in a three-bedroom house. Me and my sister shared a room, but nobody ever slept. I don't know why. We're so weird. My my sisters used to sleep on the floor of my parents' room. And then I would sleep with my grandpa. So like our bedroom was only used for like changing and playing and whatever. Yeah. But I remember when my, so when you were saying like reliving that, I was thinking about being at my grandpa's funeral and how hard that was seeing him because I was, I was closer to him than a lot of his kids. You know, he lived with us and I can imagine, I know what that's like when you see somebody who's so important to you lying there and you just wanting to breathe life back into them to spend more time with you. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, has what when you were when you decided you wanted to publish this book, what were the steps? How did you find Lee and Low books? Like what was that process like? And was that hard sharing that with other people because they're gonna give you, you know, they're gonna critique your life basically, because you're putting your, this isn't fiction. This is nonfiction. This is your life. And how was that? I think something, at least for me, I don't know. I can't speak for other writers for me. Like I wanted to be critiqued because I didn't see it as a critique of my life. I saw it as a critique of my writing that there was something I, cause I wanted to make sure that my story was as real as it could be on the page. And so, um, I'd actually shopped around the book to a couple university presses and I got no's like the, the nicest no's ever. I, I learned this from like more established authors. Like they, they wrote me a long email on why no, it usually is just like, no. And so I knew then, okay, I have something here, but something's missing. So I decided to try to find an editor to help me. Cause I'm like, I'm missing something. Cause I know the story of my life. So there's something missing in the book part. And, um, there was a small, uh, when I say small, it was small, but it, it was like, it had a lot of weight to it. There was a press here called Cinco Punto Press, and it really focused on, on publishing Latinx authors. And um, the editor that I hired freelanced for them. I did not know this at the time, <laughs> but um, so she helped me so much um, that, I mean, I owe so much of this book to her because she pushed me to really uncomfortable spots that I was not willing to go to on my own. And then when we were done with the second like draft, then she's like, I think we should give this to Cinco Punto Press. And I was like, really? Okay. And I I got all nervous and flustered. She's like, do you want to do it? Do you want me to do it? And I was like, I don't know. What do I do? And she's like, okay, I'll just do it. Calm down. Yes. <laughs> I got, I don't know what happened to me. And then Cinco Punto Press picked it up and they really loved it. And I went through the editorial process with them. And then the pandemic hit because my book was supposed to come out actually like I think a year ago or maybe a year and a half ago, but the pandemic hit and they were like, hang on. And then there was another hang on. And cause they told me like, Hey, you know what? We're going to sell the press and we're in talks with a bigger press that we think your book would do better with them. So just be patient. And I'm like, Oh my God, how long do I have to, what's going on? And I, and then they couldn't give me anything, right. They couldn't give me any like which press. So I'm trying to figure out like where, what, and then they finally told me, okay, uh, Lee and Lowe purchased us and Cinco Puntos is now just going to be an imprint of Lee and Lowe. And I was like, okay, but I didn't know Lee and Lowe because they predominantly, like before me, they, they published like children's books and YA. 
And so it wasn't a press I was familiar with. So I started Googling, I was like panicking. And then um, the editor from Lee and Lowe wrote to me, Cheryl, and she was so kind and her email was so nice. And then we met on Zoom and I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then now, now we're here. <laughs> I think that's rad. I think, first of all, congratulations. Thank I you. Think, you know, I think your story probably, I mean, it resonates with me and I'm sure it is going to resonate with a lot of people. What, how, okay, let me ask you, how did you live between like, how were you supporting yourself while you were writing? And because, unless, you know, unless you're getting an advance, which is, I, I understand not very common these days, you're just, you, how, like, how do you support yourself? <laughs> I, um, so luckily I had never thought about this actually as a career, but when I was in grad school, I, um, was a teaching assistant. And I was teaching classes and I'm like, Hey, this is pretty cool. I get to talk about writing and reading and try to inspire young little brains. Um, and so when I graduated, I started teaching here at El Paso community college. Um, I was teaching English, which initially I was teaching remedial English. And I struggled with, cause I was like, what? I don't like grammar. <laughs> like that's <laughs> not what I want to do. Um, but it, it got my foot in the door and then I started getting nicer classes. I started doing uh, creative writing, which is what I wanted to do. Um, and then I got hired full time as a tenure track professor. And so, um, I went through the whole tenure process. So my writing was predominantly done like in the summer because during the, I wouldn't teach in the summer. Like once I could do that, that I was a full-time professor, I was like, Oh, I'm not teaching in the summer. I can write. Um, yeah. and during the school year, I don't do a lot of my writing cause it's really, really hard for me to switch from like, this is a thesis statement to like trying to be creative. It, I yeah. struggle. I could force myself, but I would be making myself really miserable. Yeah. That's how I was living. <laughs> wow. What do you, what is the best piece as you've been going through this whole thing? What is the best piece of advice someone has given you through this entire experience? I have a really, uh, really lovely friend. He's a, he's an author here too. His name is Richard Yanez. He kind of took me under my wing, even when I was like, when I just graduated from grad school and I was trying to figure out like, what do I do? He, you know, he would tell me what to expect and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And I felt like, oh, this is never going to happen because I was just so impatient. And I think one of the things he told me is just like to be my authentic self. Right. And um, I don't know any other way to be honestly. So like the person you're meeting today is the person I am literally all the time. And I think that's helped me a lot in various ways in that people who are reading my book, like they're reading my life and they're seeing the good parts and not the good parts, not just the memories, but also of myself. Cause in parts of the book, I'm not a very good person. I'm not, um, a very, present person, I think. And keeping to that has really led me to this place where people are, are reaching out and saying things like, yeah, this is really resonating with me. Um, I felt this so much. I've gotten several people who reach out to me and tell me about their abuelita or abuelito um, or the passing of their, their grandparents, things like that. And I think it's beautiful that people want to share this with me. No, I mean, like I said, I think a lot of what you have, what you've gone through, a lot of people have gone through. Um, if people want to buy your book, how do they get, how do, where do they go? How do they get your book? How can they reach you? All of those things. <laughs> All of those things. Um, okay. So any major bookseller has my book. If you want to go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Bookshop, they have, uh, they have my book in stock if you want to do online. Um if you're, you can request it from like your smaller bookstores. I am in some smaller ones. It just depends. Like I'm, I'm finding, cause my book's only been out two months. It feels like it's been out a while, but it's only been two months. And so because I'll get, you like, put so much of yourself into it, right? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. For so long. Um, there is a, a bookshop here in El Paso that's shipping out that has signed copies. If people want to find copy, it's literarity and they can get that through my website. So yasmindarbinas.com. Um, if they really, really want to find copy, they'll get shipped to them. And um, pretty much like anywhere they want to buy a book, they can get they can get it. Um, and then to follow me, all of my social media is on my website. Instagram is my preferred 
social media platform. I really like it a lot. Um, I like using it. Um, but yeah, you can follow me, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. And, and then we'll have all of those links in our show notes as well. So people can go straight towards there. And then there's a beautiful playlist for the book too on Spotify. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. I love it. I created it. Like my heart and soul is in that playlist. It's so big. It's long. It's like a road trip playlist, like six hours long. Ooh. Okay. So then and we also have a wine and cheese made playlist too on Spotify. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we'll I have to it. switch. We'll yes, have to switch. switch. Uh, okay. Switch ones. Because mine is very like me, right? Okay. It's very like you have so many, you have Latino songs and then you have like, R&B and you have pop, like, it's just kind of who I am in that playlist. So, okay. and I have my, uh, a friend, a DJ friend of mine created it for me. Oh, that's so nice. I love yeah. that. I love playlists. I love them so much. I'm looking forward to listening to it. Yes. Mine um, is like very much the time period of the book. So ooh, if you um, grew up in the nineties, it's going to resonate. <laughs> oh, I'm, I really need, okay. I need to pull it up so I can add it to my, to my music collection. Yep. What is next for you? So I'm actually working on something right now. Um, It's tentatively called Lola Coca-Cola from a kink song. You know, the Lola, (laughs) Lola, like Coca-Cola. Yeah. I don't sing well, so I'm sorry. Um, But I love, love music so much. Like, I just love it. I just don't have any musical talent. (laughs) Um, So I like writing about it. And so I'm writing this book um, about Lola. She's growing up in El Paso and she wants to be a rock star. And each of the chapters is like a soundtrack of her life. Ooh, that sounds cool. We're going to have to talk when that comes out. We'll have to talk about that too. Yeah, but it'll be great. I'm about halfway through and I'm excited about it. I've been working on it. My goal is to finish a draft of the first, like the first draft of the manuscript before I start the fall semester. So every day I'm like in front of my laptop, like, am I stuck? I'm stuck. No, I'm writing. No, I got it. (laughs) And like changing songs and um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. So that's cool. Like just writing fiction now, because that's where I started. I'm taking a break from some introspection of (laughs) of my life. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes too much is... It gets heavy. Too much, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yasmin, thank you so much for sharing. I That's so funny that we have so many things in common. Literally the time period that we're in Dallas, like going to the same university. That's like so crazy. Eerie. Didn't meet them, but we're meeting now. So cool. Yes, very, very cool. Mi gente, please make sure to I will put the link to Yasmin's website in the show notes. So you can go there for everything social media to purchase her book. Um, and make sure to drop remember, go to Instagram and drop like your favorite books and authors, black and brown book, you know, or actually not just black and brown, any that's coming from a communities of color, like share, let's, we got to support each other, right? There's enough for all of us to succeed. I love that. Yes. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate it. And until next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media, at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram, and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.